you didn't open yet, go ahead and get your Bibles to John chapter 10. If you didn't happen to bring one with you today, there's one in the seat back right in front of you, or if you're in the front row underneath you, John 10. If you don't own a Bible, please don't leave today without one. Uh, we'd love to equip you with one full free, so don't forsake that. Can I get a, a good morning, everybody? Hey, oh, y'all are nailing it. I love it. So if you can remember uh, some of what happened last week, if you weren't here last week, that's fine. Uh, you can go online and tune in on the live stream uh, and, and, and see what all it was about. But uh, if you can remember last week's message, it was uh, based off of just one verse, verse 16, where Jesus is, ex- as he's explaining how he's a good shepherd, and he says, I have sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them in also, and they will hear my voice. And then there will be one flock and one shepherd. And we were talking about how that's not, that's him talking about there's more than just Jews who are going to be saved. There are going to be people all over the world and every ethnos and every people group that are going to be saved that he's purchased with his blood. And so last week kind of left as a cliffhanger with this challenge to mission, right? Challenge to local and global mission, right? And, 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 and an effort to share Jesus across every division and dividing line in the world. And, 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 and I ended last week with saying this. Now, I'm not sure what we're going to do, but who's with me, right? Like, and and uh, kind of left the door open a little bit for everybody, uh, kind of in a way, because so, I had some people come up and was like, I'm, I, I'd be willing to go. And I'm like, praise the Lord. That's what I was hoping for. But the usual response to that kind of message is guilt uh, that I often see uh, among my people, among you all. It's, it's the feeling of, wait, am I not doing enough? It's the uncomfortable fear of, am I disobeying God because I'm not going on missions trip? Am I, am I disobeying God because, uh, like, am I supposed to be the one who packs up my life and goes, moves over to the villages in Afghanistan and the mountains? Like, like is that, is that, am, I, am I out of God's will for my life? And, and, and I would just kind of gently say, I, I, probably not, right? Like, there are certain individuals called and gifted for that kind of work apostolically, even evangelistically. Like, uh, like so, so it's a matter of how you identify your giftings, how the Lord has gifted you for that. So, so that's not the right question that you need to be asking in light of last week. The right question to be asking is this, am I at least living on mission? Where I'm at right now, am I at a minimum, am I at least living in a way that lives in light of this mission that Jesus has sheep that he's working to bring in, and for some reason, and it is his divine providence, he's, the staff, the bow staff that he uses to reach out and hook people in is you and me. Am I living on mission? That's the right question. As where I am with what I've got, am I on mission for the kingdom? Because, you know, this, this question isn't just for missionaries or pastors. It's for every believer because you are ministers of the gospel. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says that you are ambassadors for the kingdom, ambassadors for Christ. You have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation, which is the ministry of reconciling people back to God, and you have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. This is for every single one of us to be considering, and guess what? It doesn't, it doesn't say when you retire, you don't have to worry about it. 
doesn't say, hey, when you get past like 50, 60, 70 years old, don't worry, you can just rest the rest of your life. No, th- that's actually prime time, man. If we could set it up to where we retire and I ain't got to work, everything I've got is going to the kingdom at that point. Am I living in light of this mission that we've been given? Have I oriented my life around this? Have I at least oriented some of my life? And maybe the next question is, can I orient more of my life around this mission, around kingdom mentality and kingdom mission? Guys, uh, today is is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Traditionally speaking, this is the day when Peter preaches that message right after the Holy Spirit falls on his people, on all of Jesus' people up in the upper room. And they go out and they start preaching and, 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 the, and the church just multiplies because Peter was available for the mission, filled with God's Spirit. And so that's why the cross is red, by the way. So how on earth do we live in light of this, right? How, how can we orient more of our life in a way that we could potentially see things like thousands of people saved at a sermon? Well, one way is, is easy way is to go. Right? That, was the, that was the impetus almost of the command, to just go somewhere. And, uh, and, and at this point, I, I want to pause and just kind of take a second to testify uh, that, uh, you know how when you like, pray for something, and, and then you're kind of like, wait, do I really want that? Uh, dangerous prayers, you might call them. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, in light of last week, right, this, like, I don't know what we're doing, but we can't stay as we are. We can't just be community without mission because that's just cancer. It's growth without purpose. So, so we got to do something. What are we going to do? And, and I loved the response I got from all of you. Praise God for that. And uh, I got a, another thing that came up and it was like, I don't, what on earth? So um, didn't know what we were doing. And I, I had a pastor's meeting with uh, uh, the district pastors up in Harrisonburg, uh, Blake Wood and Baker Rigg. You might know some of them. And uh, Blake, we were kind of just catching up, holding one another accountable, building one another up and encouraging in ministry. And Blake was talking about how, you know, I've, I've got this potential opportunity to go to Jordan uh, to do some ministry training there. And, uh, and I just, I don't know. I've got some struggles with it because I, there's some things, some, some dynamics there. And uh, I was like, okay, well, we'll pray for that. 40 minutes go by, we're on break. Uh, Baker wanders off, does his thing, right? And Blake and I are just sitting there, and I'm like, so Blake, when am I going to get to go on one of these trips with you as a joke? And he gets this massive grin. He's like, are you, you'd, seriously, you'd seriously go? Because if you'd go, that would solve all my problems. <laughs> and I'm like, Bruh, this is what I just preached on Sunday. Sheep, like, out, not in this pen, they got to bring him in, right? And he's like, bruh, that's the verse we've been praying for this trip. We've been praying because here's what's going to happen on this trip. We're going to go out, outside of the city to a nomadic, unreached people group. I can't say their name. We'll call them the Joshua tribe. But their name in English means Jesus. And they have no clue who he is. 
And part of this trip is going to be we're going to go and we're going to train up ministers and, and do some ministry training. I'm going to get to preach in some churches there. And then we're going to go into this village outside of the city and we're going to walk around and we're going to pray and we're going to see if we can lead anybody to Jesus and reach this people group. So it's like, I don't know what we're doing. Okay, here's Jordan. Okay, I'm going. So, so here's what's happening. Right, so, so you can go, right? That's one option. And I'm all of a sudden got a chance to go this week. It's kind of crazy how the Lord does that, right? And then you can pray, right? Like to, to participate in this, you can, you can be offering up prayers to the Lord. And, and like, like, like Luke 2, 10, 2, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. We talked about that. Like setting an alarm to pray that way, right? So pray for my trip. I'm going to Jordan, right? But not only that, you can give to it. Like, like Joseph just challenged us in. Like, give to the things that are of the kingdom. And so the, the, the board has already, uh, some of you board members don't know, I've had to have some quick conversations, but the board has already agreed that they're going to send me. But, but if you want to help support that, you can talk to a board member. You can, we'll be, we can be giving an offering next Sunday that says Jordan Trip, if you want, and, and to partner with that ministry. So, so all of this to say, there's going, there's praying, there's giving. And then there's one more that is probably the most terrifying for absolutely every one of us. Ways that we can orient our lives on mission. And that's just simply sharing Jesus with people. Right? Sharing Jesus with people. Making the introduction. Have you met Jesus? Right? Like doing that with your friends, with your family. The Christianese word for it is evangelism. Can you say evangelism? evangelism that literally euangelion it means to proclaim the gospel or share the good news of jesus that's one of the ways that we can orient our lives around this mission we just kind of make introductions to jesus so let me ask this question who do you think was the greatest evangelist of all time paul who else john the baptist any other names philip Philip the Evangelist, right? That's part of his name. What about like what about newer guys? Henry. Uncle Henry. Yep, you're right. Henry Wingfield, Billy Graham, right? Guys, this was a trick question. You know what the answer is? It's Jesus. No one did it better than him, right? No one did the proclamation of the kingdom, proclamation of the good news, than Jesus himself. And what's so crazy is, our text today is Jesus inviting people to believe in him. And so what we're going to do, in the, in the hope of orienting more of our lives to be available for the mission, we're going to look at Jesus' example of how he invited people to believe in him. And here's what's crazy. It's like one of the most hardest, difficult environments that he's in, that he shares the gospel, right? So, so in the heart of open hostility back at him, against him, he just gently, he logically, unapologetically declares his nature. He offers evidence that counters uh, untrue accusations and, and uses some cultural apologetics. And then he calls them to faith. And so we're going to examine this, and we're going we're to say, well, what are some ways that we can be ready for this? What are some ways that you and I can be equipped and ready to share Jesus with people? Because that's one of the easiest, most simple ways that we can participate in the mission of the kingdom. What can we be ready with? What might we face? 
And so Jesus' interactions is going to give us like five things that we're going to look at. This is like a blog post, like you want to clickbait it, right? Five things, five things that we can be ready with to share Jesus. And we're going to look at his examples. So, so here's, here's the first one that we need to be ready with. We need to be ready with the nature of Jesus. Can you say the nature of Jesus? The nature of Jesus. Here's why. Remember the context. He just started talking about how he is the gate. I am the gate. And he says, I am the good shepherd. These are internal characteristics. These are nature conversations about Jesus. And then he goes on to to say in verse 30, he says, look there. At the end of that conversation, he says, I and the Father are what? One. We are one. And 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 then look at verse 38 kind of near the end of the conversation. This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. It is absolutely imperative that we understand the nature of Jesus for us to know what the gospel is, right? This bookends our text. it's, It's the whole point of what Jesus is getting after in this whole conversation with them. Who I am is the answer he's giving to their Who are you questions? And his nature is dealing with his relationship with the Father. And the the way he describes it, in verse 30, he says that he and the Father are one. Now, obviously, we can see that, that that doesn't mean that they're identical persons. There's been heresies throughout the generations that said God is one God and he just expresses himself in different modes. That doesn't work. There's also heresies that talked about a partial being, right? So he, he's a part this, part that, part that. But no, they're all fully God. So you can't say he's a three-leaf clover or an egg. You can't say he's, he's water, ice, and steam. That just doesn't work. Nothing on earth can compare to the nature of God. So don't try. All right, so here we have the Jesus, the Son, saying that the Father is God and I am one with him. So the Father is God and the Son is God, but the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Father. (laughs) Here's a way that Jesus, uh, uh, maybe there's a picture to paint with this. And and the picture he paints to kind of explain this is in his prayer for the church. Look at John 17. I pray not for these, but also for these who believe in me through their word. Right? So that's, that's you and me. Jesus, 2,000 years ago praying for you. He prays this, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. The relationship among us is a reflection of the relationship of the triune God. It's supposed to be. That's the ideal. So the whole point of our evangelism, of our sharing Jesus with people, is to get people to understand and come to agreement with the nature of of Jesus, to to come in in verse 38, as it says, to come to know and to understand that the Father is in Jesus and that Jesus is in the Father. And, And the way he says to know and to understand, he's talking about you know already 
and you're continuing to grow in that understanding that Jesus is one with the Father. Guys, I would venture to say that this truth is the distinct claim of Christianity. This is what sets us apart from absolutely everything else. So when you look at the moral code that we provide, you can see it kind of copied and pasted throughout some other religions, right? But when you look at the nature of Jesus and us claiming that he is God in the flesh, nobody else copied that. They're like, nope. This is what sets us apart. This is what makes us distinct. It's the crucial element of our faith. Without this element, everything falls apart. Everything breaks, and we're most of all worth pity. Here's here's the hard reality about this conversation about the nature of Jesus. Here's the problem. You can know that Jesus is one with the Father and not actually be a citizen of the kingdom of God saved by His grace. James, in his book, I I know I've referenced this a few times, it's astounding. In the book of James chapter 2, he argues that even demons know that to be true. They've got better orthodoxy than most of us. Demons, even Satan, knows that Jesus and the Father are one. They know that, that Jesus is in God and the Father, and the Father is in the Son. So our mission isn't just simply to get people to come. Sure, yeah, I'll, I'll take that, that's fine, whatever. That's not our mission. That's not what we're trying to do when we're evangelizing, like get them to just simply agree with it. Guys, guys we've, we've had years, decades of our culture understanding that as a minimum, that Jesus had a relationship with God that was different from everyone else. Guys, I had years in my own life where I would be able to tell you I was convinced that Jesus was the Son of God, and it did nothing to me. I had years that that was a belief that I had, like I possessed, but it wasn't a belief that possessed me. And so there's, there's this difference that we're not just simply to get, try to get people to agree with certain facts. We're trying to introduce them to Jesus in a way that they give their faithful allegiance to the God-man, to Jesus of Nazareth. Not just simply know about that as a fact in history, just like Abraham Lincoln existed or whatever, right? Like, so we want to be ready to talk about the nature of Jesus in a way that invites them into the relationship with Jesus. So that's the first thing that we need to be ready with, the nature of Jesus. Here's the second thing that we need to be ready for. We need to be ready to face hostility. I'm not going to make y'all repeat that because that's too hard. Look at what happens. Verse 30, he talks about his nature. I and the Father are one. And what's the next thing that they do? They pick up some stones again to stone him. Did you notice that John included the word again? Like, like Jesus is like, really? Another time you're going to try this? Remember the past two times? The third, this is the third time they try to kill Jesus. They did it in, in chapter 5. They, they begin to try and kill him all the more. In 859, he makes a declaration and they picked up stones to throw at him. Why? Because he was making himself equal to God. Every time they try to kill him, it's because he's declaring that his nature is one with God. 
And you know what's so crazy? Isn't that self-proving that Jesus declared himself to be God because everyone around him understood him saying that he was doing that? People look in the Gospels and they say, Jesus never said he was God. Then why did everybody think that that's exactly what he was saying? You know? It's ridiculous. Sorry, that was a bit animated. So, so they pick up stones to throw at him, right? And, and Jesus, I'll, I'll go over his response a little bit more in depth in a little bit. He's just like, why are you stoning me? He's like, why are you doing it? Like, why, why this again? Verse 33, we aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. There's a, another Christianese word, blasphemy. Can you say that word? Blasphemy, right? It's a sin in the Bible, right? It's a Christianese word that pretty much, I mean, there's different ways that you, some diction, uh, Bible dictionaries define it, but one of the easy ones would be, it's a verbal insult uttered intentionally and malevolently against God. So like in a silly example, I was driving up to the district pastors meeting on Thursday, and it breaks my heart to tell you this, but I saw an advertisement on a billboard for Bojangles. And they said, our chicken tenders reign supreme. Blasphemy! There's only one! But your tenders come really close. If you think this is funny, wait till the end. I've got something for you. They think Jesus is a man making himself to be God. And you know what's so ironic about that? Flip it around, and that's the truth. He's a God. He is God who's made himself a man. But they've tragically reversed it. And because of this misunderstanding about the nature of Jesus, it leads to their hostility. They're going to stone him. They're going to kill Jesus in a mob. I don't know about you. I... I've, there's been times where we've, I've been mistakenly, wrongly accused of things because of my allegiance to Jesus. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of us find a lot of terror in, in talking about Jesus to people who might not like that. We might fear the hostility, the, the, what, what's called the, the, the clap back, right? They're, they're going to clap back at us. You don't love people. Or they're yelling at us, they're mocking us, they're making fun of us, they're, they're maybe calling us to lose our jobs because we hold a certain perspective on marriage and family. They might be calling for our businesses to be boycotted because we hold a certain perspective from God's word on things. Now, I'm, I'm just going to be honest. I'm not convinced that everyone in the world is that way. I'm just not. I don't think everyone is that way. I think just the people who are shouting the loudest are that way. And they're the ones who are in the public square the most. But it terrifies us. We see the YouTube shorts. Huh, that believer went through that? Having a, a, a peaceful conversation about abortion? Huh. You know, the most common accusation that our, I think Christians are now on, under is, is you're, you're not loving. You no longer love people. Aren't Christians supposed to love if that's the case, then you're not a Christian anymore, huh? 
it's hard to hear that you're not loving. I'm sure with Jesus, it was really hard to hear that he was talking negatively about his father. You're blaspheming. And what does he do? What is his response? Bah. This, this, this dude is, is ice cold. He is, he is calm. He is gentle. He responds with logic. And we'll go over his response in a minute. I had a, uh, we had some, uh, a family over for dinner, and one of, our, one of our brothers here reminded me of Proverbs 15.1. He said, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Hostility comes towards us. Evil comes towards us. Gentle response turns away wrath. He, Jesus responds gently to those who are threatening to kill him. And you know what's so crazy about this? At the end of this passage, at the end of his discourse with them, he still invites them to believe in him. Did you catch that? Like, did you see that? Like, like he invites those who were re reaching down to pick up stones to stone him to death, and he says, hey, I'll rescue you from your sin and death. I'm offering that to you. Believe in me. Do you think you can be ready to offer Jesus to those who hate you? Those who are mocking you, throwing verbal insults at you? Accusing you of all sorts of wrong? You know what this means then? Is that there really is no one off limits to our evangelism. There really is no one. No, no, nobody's on the outside, right, of, of, of who we should be going towards for, with the gospel to introduce them to Jesus. So last week, if, the, if you wanted to have a racial conversation, an ethnicity conversation, and say, oh, no, there's certain people groups that are off limits, last week said, nope, they're all open game, right? And if we're going to talk about, well, what about our enemies? What about those who hate us? Well, Jesus talked about that. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Give them Jesus here. In other words, just don't be a Jonah. Don't be a Jonah. Don't believe that there are people that don't deserve God. And you run away when God tells you to go towards. Don't be a Jonah. Be ready to face hostility. Even if they're mocking, persecuting, whatever it is, offer them Jesus even in that heat, even in the pain, even in the fire. Because you're not alone there, by the way. What do you think Jesus meant when he said, I will be with you always? You think he'd be like, when, the, when it starts getting intense, he's like, nope, nope, that's too hot for me. You're in it by yourself. No, he's in it with you. That was free. Let's keep going. So we need to be ready to face hostility. We need to be ready with the nature of Jesus. Here's the third thing that we need to be ready with. We need to be ready with logical evidence. Can we get that up? There it is. We need to be ready with logical evidence. Can you say logical evidence? So Jesus' response to their hostility is calm, cool, collected. He presents logic. He presents evidence. So they are picking up stones to throw at him, and he just kind of pulls this out. He says, so uh, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? <laughs> like just calm, cool, collected. He pulls out the evidence that's going to discredit their hostility towards him. He just pulls it out. His evidence. What's his evidence? What is he pointing to to say, hey, like, like are you, what are you going to stone me for? Which work? 
His evidence is the good works from the Father. And did you notice how he says, I have shown you? He doesn't say, I have done many good works. He says, I have shown you many good works. His good works were meant to display something about his relationship with the Father. Because those good works are said here to come from the Father. And these good works, good meaning morally excellent, but good meaning beautiful and praiseworthy. Can we just remember some of the things that Jesus did so far in this gospel? Let's just remember. One, he turned water into wine. Amen? Right? Secondly, he heals the official's mortally ill son from miles away without even touching him or seeing him. Amen? You see, in chapter 5, we see this lame man by the pool trying to get healed through means that aren't actually going to save him. And Jesus comes in and saves him and rescues him and heals him, and he gets up and walks. Amen? And then in chapter 6, he feeds 5,000 people with the Lunchable. Amen? And then in chapter 6, he walks on water right after that. Amen? And then chapter 9, just before this, the reason why they're having this discourse is he made a man who was born blind able to see. Amen? So which one of those is the reason why you're stoning me? That's what he says. Jesus is pulling out the evidence of his nature, his relationship with his father. And he's pointing to them, he's saying, like, look at these, examine these. Look at verse 37. If, he says, if I am not doing my father's works, then don't believe me. Okay, he gives him a way out. Don't believe it. If, if what I do isn't from the Father, if his works aren't in the nature and in the character of the Father, then just don't believe Jesus. That's fine. Like, okay, makes sense. But if they are works that are from the Father, that align with the nature and the character of the Father, then that is sufficient evidence for who Jesus is. It points to it enough. Like, so look at the evidence. You know that old saying, if the glove fits, it fits. This is, this is logical argument using reasonable, undeniable evidence. And I just think at this point, I need to pause and, 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 and just say to you, guys, I, I, I'm telling you, no matter what you hear, no matter what you see, no matter what you fear, our faith in Jesus is reasonable. Our faith in Jesus is logical. It makes the most sense in the world. Our faith is provable and self-proving. Like our faith, what we believe about Jesus, it's not outlandish. It's not foolish. It's not fiction. Guys, the, the life of Jesus is undeniably confirmed throughout all of history. The death of Jesus is historical fact already testified to in the Bible and even outside the Bible. The resurrection of Jesus is legitimately verifiable. So you sharing Jesus isn't sharing foolishness. It's sharing truth and hope. So evangelism means that we're ready to share legitimate evidence of all that we boast as truth in the gospel. And we present it in a logical, reasonable way, even if they don't receive it. So be ready with logical evidence. And then here's the fourth one. Be ready with cultural apologetics. And you say cultural apologetics? 
So this is what we're talking, this is what I mean. Be ready with a defense that can appeal to shared truth between your shared culture. Let's look at the example. So remember, they accuse Jesus of blasphemy, right? They say he's a man making himself to be God. And then what does he defend with? What does he pull out? The scriptures. The law is what he calls it. And of course, Scripture is uh, the authority of truth and all that it touches on. We declare that in our faith, in our membership covenant. Scripture is the authority, but here's the thing. The author of it is sitting right here. He's the authority. He's the real one. So, so it's not a question of authority. What Jesus is doing is he's appealing to a shared authority between him and them. Between the Jews and between Jesus. Because Jesus wrote that, so it's true. And they believed in the Scriptures, too. So he pulls out Scripture, and he defends himself, and he appeals to something that they both agree on, culturally with this apologetic. Now, at this point, Jesus does say something that I think might get a little confusing for a lot of us. So we're, we're just let me take two minutes to explain what Jesus is go, going through here. So verse 34, we'll start reading there. Here's his cultural apologetic. Isn't it written in your law, again, which I authored, by the way, I said you are gods, if he, calls, if he called those to whom the word of God came gods, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say you are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said I am the Son of God? The initial reading of that sounds like Jesus is diminishing his claims of who he is. Sounds like he's leveling out and saying, well, I'm just like everybody else. I'm cool. I'm a God. You're a God. We're all gods. Hey. Sounds like he's doing that. No, 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 not at all. He's, he's dismissing the accusation of blasphemy. He's not discoursing on his nature at this point, right? So, so the reference is to Psalm 82, verse 6, where God is speaking And he refers to human beings as lowercase g, gods. Okay? And he calls them even sons of the Most High. Now, the reason these human beings were called gods, lowercase g, is because they were charged with executing justice righteously, which is something God does. And by the way, God is not God's name. Just by the way, so he's not defaming his name and calling other humans gods. But the, impo- the apologetic here, it's impeccable. So, so if God, in the law, calls some men gods, and since we can't just throw Scripture aside and let it break because it's the truth, we've got to hold it, then why is it blasphemy when the one who God set apart and sent into the world says, I am the Son of God? Why is that blasphemy? So this isn't diminishing His deity and equalizing himself with humanity, per se, it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. God calls some human beings gods, then it definitely is not a sinful thing or a wrong or demeaning thing to God for the one that God actually set apart and sent into the world to call himself the Son of God. It's just not blasphemy. It's not sin. Did that just uh, like blow your head and you're like, now I'm really confused? Okay. Here's the point. This defense comes from their source book. Their standard of truth within their culture. He's appealing to it. 
and it's quite a beautiful thing. And Jesus does that sort of thing often, not just with the word, but with their shared experiences within their culture. He takes truths and uses parables and things out of their culture to relate to spiritual truths. And and not only that, but you see Paul do it in Athens, right? He takes something from their culture. He's walking through the streets, and there's all these temples and idols that have been made. And he finds an idol set aside that says, to the unknown God. And he goes and he preaches the gospel. Hey, that idol you got over there, the unknown God, I know him! His name is Jesus of Nazareth, and he uses that to proclaim the gospel. So I want to encourage you, don't be afraid to use defenses that are true within the culture around us. Because here's why. All truth is God's truth. You swallow that yet? All truth is God's truth. So it's okay to use truth that is shared within the culture, if it's true. Experiences and traditions and morals, if it's truth, we can use it. But I would just say it's getting harder and harder to appeal to share truths within the culture because so many of our shared truths are waning. The culture uh, is no longer doing what it used to do. The culture used to instill into our mindsets basic understandings of a personable God, of a, of a, a moral absolutes, of, of life after death, of our need for forgiveness. Culture used to do all that. That used to just kind of be common knowledge among most people in our nation. And evangelism was just kind of connecting the dots. But the dots aren't there anymore. A record low number of people believe in God, believe in moral absolutes, believe that they're kind of, they're not inherently good. We technically live in a post-Christendom culture, which means we just have a lot more work to do. But we can do it, and we can use some, some shared cultural truths, some apologetics to help share Jesus. Here's the thing, those are the four things, but it all culminates in one final thing, and then we'll be, we'll be done here. He, he, there's one final action Jesus takes in his discourse with them. He invites them to believe. That's, that's the fifth and final one, that you need to be ready with an invitation. You need to be ready with an invitation. Look at verse 38. If I am doing my Father's works, and you don't believe me, like what I'm saying... Believe the works. Believe the works. To those who had threatened to stone him, he invites them to to faith. He invites them to belief. He offers them salvation. I mean, because if Jesus' works were the works of the Father, even if it's hard for you to believe what he's saying, let his works be what persuades you to believe him. Now, why is that okay? Why is that? It's like, wait, wait, we're supposed to believe his words, right? We can't just reject his words and keep his works. Like, that's not something we can do. It's okay. He's, he's, he's not wrong. He's Jesus. He's the best at this. Remember, I told you that. It was a trick question at the beginning. Why is it okay for him to talk this way? Because eventually you can't ever separate his works and his word. You just can't. Here's why. Because the works are designed to prove that Jesus is God in the flesh. And if Jesus is God in the flesh, then that means he really is God and has the character of God. And if Jesus has the character of God, that means he is holy and he cannot sin, which means everything that he says 
is true because he cannot lie and he cannot deceive anyone. So if the works point you ultimately to the nature that Jesus is God in the flesh, then you have to take him at his word. So we invite people to receive the truth about Jesus, the truth about his works, which show that he's God, which then will prove the truth about his words, that he speaks truth, he speaks reality. When he speaks things like that the Father loved the world so much that he gave his only son, offered him up to the cross so that anyone who would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life, that's the truth. Or when he says, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. It's the truth. When he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For if you seek to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. It's the truth. We invite people to receive Jesus, the truth of the gospel. We invite people to believe in him, to be convinced of his truth. So, so here's the thing. Like, I, I want to challenge you to be ready to, to cause people to make a decision. To have an invitation to, to be like, I can't stay the, the way that I'm thinking or the way that I'm believing anymore. You don't just simply articulate the truth and let them kind of hang out there like low-hanging fruit. Trying to, trying to get people to like reach up and grab it. Bring the branch down, put it right in front of their mouths and say, are you going to do it? Like, are you going to receive Jesus? Because Jesus does that here. He calls them. Believe me. Have faith in me. And when you give that invitation, there's usually only, really, two responses that you'll get. The first one is, no. It wasn't that hard, was it? Look at verse 39. They, uh, what do they do when he says, uh, believe me, that the Father is in me and I in the Father? Verse 39, they try to seize him again. They try to arrest him again. Notice again, it's happened again. Jeez. And what does he do? He ghosts them. <laughs> He's like, nope. He pressed that circle button, right? Juked him out. And then, and, then, and then he travels outside. He goes to where Johnny B. had been baptizing. And there, Johnny B.'s testimony about Jesus bears its weight, and it's building its legacy. Look at verse 42. What happens out there? And many believed in him there. What if that was God's word for your neighborhood? And many believed in him there. What if that was your or God's word for our city in Waynesboro, in Grottoes, in Cremora, in Stanton, in Fishersville? Many believed in him there. I think that's how we need to be praying. So in light of this, all of these things that we see about Jesus, the way he evangelized, the example he sets before us, he explains his nature. He, ex- he, he shows that we should be ready to experience hostility. He, he shows that we need to offer evidence. It's okay to do that. Be persuasive. We need to defend with shared truth within the culture. And we need to invite people into faith. And all of this still might freak you out. It might freak you out because you have this 
the subtle fear of, well, what if they don't believe in Jesus? I do all this work. I talk, I talk to them about it. Like, what, what if they don't believe? I think the better question, what will you do if they do believe? What if they do believe in him? My goodness, ask that question. Or maybe your fear is, well, what if I don't have all the answers? That's the, I think that's the one if I were to ask, how many of you struggle with that? They'd have like two hands up. What if I don't have all the answers? What if I don't know enough? Two arguments against that. One, to think that you have to have all of the answers to all of their questions means that you think that you need to be God in order for them to be saved. Because he's the only one who really has all the answers. So, so how about you let God be God in this equation? And you just make the introduction. Second to that fear, if you're afraid of not knowing enough, how will you ever know what you don't know if you're never in the environment that helps you find out? See what I did there? You can't, you can't get strong physically if you're not tearing your muscles in the gym. Right? If, if you're never sharing Jesus with people, how are you ever going to learn what you don't know that they're needing answers to? If you're never in that environment, then you'll just constantly be in that fear. I will tell you that there's an abundance of resources that I can point you to. I've got some free ones I'll hand out to you or, or point you to online. Whatever it takes to f- so that you can feel equipped. I mean, we're going to hopefully have a class here soon, one of these days about it, but But I really, really think that you should be ready with these things. But not only that, you can be ready to share Jesus in your home, at your work, with your family or your friends. Because he is still working to bring his sheep in. And he wants to use you. So if you would make yourself useful to the king for the advancement of his kingdom, I think you're going to be amazed at all the things that God's going to do through your life and in your life. So be ready. Let me pray. Father, we, we thank you that Jesus has given us the example, uh, but not only that, he's given us the invitation that each and every one of us have experienced the call to believe upon him for rescue, for restoration back to relationship with you. And God, I pray that you would build up the urgency in our hearts to be sharing Jesus with people, with our coworkers and neighbors, because if we're truly convinced that there's a truck bearing down and we do nothing to get the person out of the way, how apathetic could we really be? But if there's a truck bearing down, May we, be, may we be calling out and offering the rescue, offering the solution that is that it's Jesus who came to our aid, came to our rescue, laid down his life for us so that we could find freedom and, and relationship with the God we were made to enjoy. So build up an urgency in us, a joy in us. May we not try to evangelize out of guilt or depletion, But I pray that we would share Jesus out of joy and contentment, not needing anything from anyone that we're sharing Jesus with, but wanting to give them everything that we get to enjoy in you. Build that up in us. And I just pray what verse verse, uh, 42 said. I pray, Jesus, that in Waynesboro, in our community, 
many would believe in Jesus here. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, as you guys are standing, I want to pray a prayer of benediction over you. But I have an announcement for you. Uh, We are um, offering our gym to a local basketball team. And the head coach owns six Bojangles in the area. And he gave us a gift, um, free coupons to Bojangles. So uh, as you're leaving, our ushers are going to be having those cards. He just wanted to bless our church and say thanks for letting us use his building. So, so if you like Bojangles, uh, you can g- grab a card on your way out. Uh, this, is like, this is like divine manna from heaven for me. Um, <laughs> I've already used some. So, uh, and if you don't want one, uh, take it and bring it to me. Um, and we'll, uh, I'll enjoy it. But if... <laughs> I, I didn't initiate it. This is God's grace. I didn't work for this. I did not work for this, okay? But if you guys would stand, uh, that, uh, that's happening on the way out. Um, also, if you want to hang around for a little bit, there's some refreshments out there. I'd love to, to get to know you a little bit better. For those of you who, who came here for the first time, if you need any prayer, uh, we'll have a prayer team. I'll be up here. would love to pray over you. Anything that we can care for you about. Here's the benediction prayer that I, I, I've been led to pray from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have an incredible week. Be blessed.